Well, again, this morning, I'm going to bring you greetings. I uh, was looking this last week, when was the last time uh, that I had preached a Mother's Day sermon on Mother's Day? And the answer was about 2001. So usually when I preach on Mother's Day, I'm just preaching through my regular series, which is fine. But I was impressed this year to do something else. I want to return and preach a Mother's Day sermon. Now, as I do that, I am referring to, of course, all mothers. Not all mothers give birth to their children. There are mothers who adopt children. They don't go through nine months of pregnancy. They go through very often years and years of, of searching, and, and also to a number of mothers who become pregnant, but uh, go through years and years of ordeal. But my point is, I realize that all mothers, all mothers sacrifice tremendously to have their children. And I also am thinking about spiritual mothers. Um, I think the Bible talks about spiritual mothers. Um, women who take on and are given the joy of the task of uh, loving and caring and nurturing uh, younger people as if they were their own daughters or their own sons. And I want to say to those that are in pain because they've not had children and they wish they could have children. There's a promise that means a great deal to me and uh, it's the promise of Isaiah 54 which says, Sing, O barren one who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. Well, this speaks directly of Israel and its history, but I think it also speaks covenantally to the satisfaction God promises, I think, to bring to women who are not able to have children or who have not had children. And there are other promises in Scripture like that. So I don't make light of this, but I do want to just commend it tangentially that God understands the cry of a woman's heart when she wants to be a mother and is not able to do so. But today my text for you is from John, the 19th chapter, and I'd like you to open up your Bibles with me. It is a crucifixion text. It is, in, it is a Good Friday text. It's John chapter 19. And I want to read you from verses 23 to 27. We picked this up right in the middle of Jesus' crucifixion, so I don't think I need to set the scene for you. I think you're all familiar with it. What we read is that when the soldiers who crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear that, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. And this was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother. And his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, 
and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, the Apostle John, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. I want you to join with me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, I ask you now that you would make the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, it's, it's not hard to preach a sermon in honor of mothers. And throughout the Bible, God honors women he's called to be mothers from the very beginning. In Genesis, after Adam learned that, that his wife would one day give birth to people like himself, maybe I should rephrase that, when Adam learned that in the future God would create, continue to create human beings, and yet now from within the body of the woman he had given to her to be his wife, and that that he would continue to create human beings not only within her body but even through her body, imagine how shocked he must have been. And he who had been given the task by God of naming all the creatures finally had his name for her. And he named her Eve, which means life giver. Because the text says she was the mother of all the living. What high honor. And that honor given to our first mother continues throughout the scripture. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 Using Eve as a metaphor for all mothers, Paul writes about childbearing. He writes about motherhood as a sacred calling. God sanctified it. It is a holy calling. He sanctified it in Eve when he not only made the preservation and the continuation of the human race dependent upon this devotion and this kind of sacrifice, but made our salvation dependent upon it as well. It was through her seed, the seed of the woman, that the Savior would be born. And if God sanctified motherhood in Eve, how much more so in Mary, the virgin, in whom Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and then born. Motherhood is a vocation It is a calling from God designed by him to be an act of faith, hope, and love. It's exactly what it is. And why is it important to know that motherhood is a sacred calling? And the answer is because motherhood is a sacrificial calling. And it's important to know that motherhood is worth the pain and the sacrifice that is required. That by this God blesses and redeems the world. And this does not mean that motherhood is easy. It does mean that you mothers are part of God's magnificent saving purposes. You have a very specific vocation 
that is part of this plan. When it appears that way, and when it does not. If you wonder why does such a, what a sacred or holy vocation involve suffering, I can only point you to Christ. Proverbs, as you know, is the preeminent book of wisdom in the Bible. King Solomon instructs his son, you know, man to man in the ways of wisdom, beginning with the fear of the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. And yet there, as he's talking to his son in the men's locker room after they've done some weight training together, Solomon, the father, personifies wisdom for his son. You can just imagine the room full of... Cigar smoke and poker chips on the table over by the side. And he's personified, this this is really what wisdom is like. And he uses the metaphor of the mother who builds up her household. And he concludes his book with the words that King Lemuel's mother taught him about how to rule. And those words begin, what are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my my vows? Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. What a strong word of admonition. She's telling her son, what are you doing? The voice of the one who gave him life. The the, the voice that sang to him and consoled him and comforted him. A voice that he cannot deny, even though he may pretend to, now counsels him on how to live. Starting with the need to control his sexual lust and the need to beware of women's attempts to seduce him. Solomon concludes the book of Proverbs by extolling the wise woman, the godly wife and mother. He calls her by words that are variously translated, translated in the Hebrew term, noble, virtuous, valiant. This is a term that's otherwise exclusively reserved for the king's distinguished warriors, his most loyal and courageous warriors. And in 1872, when the famous commentator, German commentator Franz Delich, wrote his commentary on Proverbs 31, he was searching for a word to better capture the essence of this Hebrew, Hebrew term than even the word noble. It was greater than that. And so he went through Latin roots, and he was looking at the Latin language. He finally settled on the term And we know it from the far more recent movie. But he settled on the term in the 19th century for the mother, Braveheart. That's what he said the Hebrew means. She's a brave heart. And her children rise and call their brave heart blessed. Now, it's not hard to honor mothers at all when the Bible is in our hearts. Because it teaches us so well and so convincingly about mothers. And I just want to pause for a moment and say it's not hard for me to talk about mothers in this way either. Because I I had a great mom. I had a wonderful mother. And as I grew up, the the love that 
Beverly Young had for me was the greatest certainty of my life. And it was the greatest goodness that I knew. And if there were limits on her love and her acceptance of me, if there were limits on on her forgiveness of me, I never found them out, though the Lord knows I tried. And then when I married Diane, and I observed firsthand all that she went through to give me five children and to feed and clean and nurture them and teach and counsel and advocate for them and then to realize that her sacrifices were not only out of love for them but love for me, it left me speechless and I feel unworthy to this day. But I also realized those sacrifices were made first and foremost out of love for Christ. And so because of my own wife, I realize so much better now how selflessly and sacrificially my own mother loved me. Song of Songs is a book of love poetry, as you know, wedding poetry. It's set around Solomon's first marriage, and, uh, which I would consider to be his happiest marriage, at least his, his one noble marriage probably, before he went off the rails. This was his wedding to his Shulamite bride. And in Song of Solomon, chapter 3, verse 11, the bride says, Go out, O daughters of Zion, and look upon King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, on the day of the gladness of his heart. You know, in our culture, the father of the bride gives his daughter away as the amazing and glorious woman that she is. It's a great honor. It's a moment of, I've experienced it, and I'll experience it again this year. It is a great honor, and it is a moment of indescribable pride to place words of blessing on your daughter at her wedding and words of blessing on her groom. But in that day, Song of Solomon was written. The mother crowned her son as that amazing groom who is now taking or receiving the wife. And if it was an honor for the son to wear a crown, what of the honor of the one who places the crown on the bowed head? Who extends it? who has it to place on his head. She was not just a mother. She was the queen mother. You know, there are highly charged, significant moments in life, like weddings, when our actions and our words must be so highly compressed. And yet in the brevity of precious seconds, What we so briefly may say or do there reveals so much, and it means so much. And so we turn to the cross, where in the midst of his dying, gasping agony, when every word spoken must have been like piercing his lung with a sword, Jesus honored his mother. And as this brave heart lover of her son stood beside him in the agony 
of her grief as she observed his suffering, Jesus also observed hers. She'd rip out those nails with her teeth if she could have. She would have wrapped his bloody body in the safety of her embrace as she had once done before. But these things were not to be. So instead, Jesus said, Dear woman, behold your son, referring to John. And to John, he said, behold your mother. And from that hour, the text underscores, from that hour, John took her into his home. Jesus loved his mother (laughs) to his dying breath. He honored her to his dying breath. He gave her a son to love her and care for her as he had loved and cared for her. You think about it from conception on. Mary and Jesus had been connected in the most remarkable way. She had enfolded him. She had sheltered him in her body. His oxygen, his nutrition, his blood had come through her. And through the throes of tremendous pain, she had given him birth. And when that cord that supplied him with life from her had been cut, the connection established between them was not severed, but would now grow and be strengthened even more through willing sacrifices of love. We say, oh, the miracle of the incarnation of Jesus. But wait. What I've just described to you is not the miracle of the incarnation. The miracle of the incarnation was that God's eternal Son would experience this which is common to us all. It is a miracle. Mothers, their love convinces us of goodness. Their vigilance keeps us safe. Their patience causes us to grow. Their wisdom makes us wise. Their hope brightens our lives. Their faith shields us from fear. The relationship between a mother and her child, no matter what that child's age and no matter what the mother's age, is a very sacred bond. And I don't know if it's possible for children to feel that bond as powerfully as their mothers do. But we can honor our mothers for loving us as the miracles from God in their lives. As miracles from God in their lives. And that is a calling for us as sons and daughters, to honor them for that, even as the words of the beautiful lullaby that, uh, that Luke presented during the offertory. Imagine. Who else views you as a miracle from God? Who else loves you that way? Who else is so devoted to you? Well, how do we love our mothers? Now, at this point, I could just say everything I've said in my sermon as an introduction. Now we get to the good stuff, but no. 
I'm going to limit my answer. I'm going to keep it very practical. I want to keep it very simple today. How do we love our mothers? Two ways, I'd suggest, in this genre of simple and practical. Love them with your words. Tell them you love them. Write it, email it, text message it, Facebook it, or maybe even tell them face-to-face if you have the time. But don't just tell them with your words that you love them. Show them with your words that you love them. Show them with your words. What is it that the Bible says? What is it that 1 Corinthians says about love? Love is kind. It is not full of itself. It is not rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Don't just tell them you love them with your words. Show them that you love them by your words. Words are food for the spirit. What are you feeding your mother? She savors your words because they're your words. After my mom and my dad died, my brother and I were going through their effects. And my dear mother had carefully labeled and boxed and stored all of her treasures and the shelves in her, in her closet. It was a walk-in closet. And as I was going through those, those closet shelves, I came on a, you know, one of those nice gift boxes, the kind you get from a department store that you don't have to wrap with paper. It's one of those nice gift boxes, and, and, uh, and I wondered what was in it. I don't remember if it had a ribbon around it, but anyway, I opened it up. And do you know what it contained? It contained all of the letters, cards, and notes that I had written her over the course of decades. In order, the oldest at the bottom, the most recent at the top, And I would like to think, though I'm giving myself too much credit, I would like to think that had I known how much she treasured my words, I would have written and spoken to her much more. Proverbs says, her children rise up and call her blessed. Love her with your words. Surprise her. Don't just tell her you love her. Show her you love her with your words. Also, secondly, love her her with your touch. Love her physically. And yesterday as I was driving to church, I saw a growing teenage boy walking with his next to a short mother, walking down Amherst, his arm around her shoulder. He was publicly loving his mom. And then I realized I knew who he was, and some of you know who he is. He's been in our Bible school, our family Bible camp. He's been in uh, Arcola. 
His name is Mark. I see Don in the back. It was Mark, Don. And then I saw him. I stopped. and I, Actually, I saw him as they were walking here at the church. And I stopped and I told him I was so proud of him. You know, when a daughter or a son tenderly loves their mom, you know, kissing her cheek, holding her hand, hugging her, squeezing her gently, rubbing her shoulders next to her on the sofa, you know. What it does is it affirms a deep, soul-satisfying bond of love that from the very beginning has been so intensely physical. And I would just say that uh, when we talk in tender terms about mothers, I'll just say for my part, it's not because I think women are weak or mothers are weak. It's because I know that to be a mother involves rendering oneself incredibly vulnerable to their children, both for good and for ill. And that vulnerability is a reality in every mother's heart and soul. Loving your mother with your words and with your touch satisfies a longing in her that results simply from her being your mom. It is a longing that only you can satisfy. Oh, and one last thing. Never stop loving her. If Jesus loved his mama till his last breath, so can you. Okay, one very last thing. Love all the mothers God places in your life. Be John to Mary. I was completely satisfied with my mother when I came to atonement. I wouldn't have changed too much about her. She would have she would change nothing about me. This is the difference, you see. She loved me unconditionally. <laughs> but my point is that when I came to here, when I came to this church, I had mothers I'd never had before. I had a mother who I was able to sit down with and talk about color and race and issues of life. I think as a mother would talk to her son. I had... I've had mothers who've spoken to me about things and given me wisdom that I've never had before. They shared out of the experience of their life and who they are. And I'm so grateful for my mothers here. But that last, very last thing, I promise, love all the moms that God has placed in your life. Be John to Mary. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I love you and I thank you for your mercy and goodness to me in Christ. Lord, there's this amazing experience in life. Uh, There's no human who hasn't fallen in sin. There's no relationship that isn't affected by the fall. But Lord, we're, we're here to talk about the good news in spite of all that. Lord, in the vast, vast majority of cases, you've given us mothers who die for us. In fact, you kill for us. You've given us another human being who sacrificed 
her body for us, who risked death for us, and then who took us to her breast and fed us from her body, and so many other things. Lord, it's just amazing. It's amazing. It's, 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 it's godlike. It's divine. It's your plan. It's your purpose. And I thank you that in a world that is in so much confusion and so much turmoil, your scripture, your word, your revelation is so clear. Honor your mothers. Honor them. Because motherhood is a sacred vocation. It's not a vocation. It's not a career. It's not something they do. It's something they become and are. It's an exercise in faith, hope, and love, the likes of which I think is pretty incomparable in this life. And I pray you bless our mothers and our grandmothers and our great-grandmothers. I pray especially this day that you would bless our mothers and our grandmothers and our great-grandmothers who are widowed and who miss their loved ones. That you would bless our mothers and our grandmothers and our great-grandmothers who are grieved because they may not be loved or are not loved in the ways they should be. Perhaps not by their children. Perhaps not by their own husbands. But Lord, I believe you love them. And I know that what they do is part of your eternal plan of salvation. And I know that it is a great thing. Lord, in Christ... These brave hearts, honestly, we confess with the scripture that they are not mothers. They are queen mothers. Amen.